Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter and a commodity broker here at StoneX. I work in the grain and oil seed markets uh, and part of my team is also uh, in the energy markets and the guys across the, the desk for me uh, focus on dairy. If you have any questions about uh, what we do here, happy to talk to you anytime. Uh, my number is 312-706-7610. My email is craig.turner at stonex.com. If you like the podcast, please go to iTunes, give us a positive review. Um, feel free to send it along to anyone who might like it. You can check out the newsletter at turnerstake.com. And uh, if you're a client here and hear anything you like, we need to do, give me a call, shoot me a text, you have my cell phone number. Um, and yeah, so let's, uh, you know, and finally, you know, we, we work in futures and options markets, swaps and OTC. And for our corporate and hedging producing clients, we also offer consulting services on the cash and physical side of the markets. All right, so let's get into it here. Uh, just in terms of, you know, big news this week, you know, we had the grain markets. Uh, I mean, I want to say since middle of March, grains have been around six, down 60 cents across corn, wheat, and soybeans, um, 50 to 60 cents. And this is the time of year where markets do break. Um, you know, whatever the damage is done in South America eventually gets priced in and you see the profit taking come in. We saw that uh, in the grain markets here. You know, listen, there's still going to be issues in South America. That Argentine soybean crop could be at 30 million metric tons. You know, the maybe even lower, worst case. Corn could be 40 million metric tons in Argentina, maybe even lower, you know, worst case. That's a big deal. I mean, we're going to be off 15 to 20 million metric tons on each of those. Um, and that's not small potatoes. So now Brazil is going to have a pretty good crop. Paraguay is going to have a pretty good crop and it will help. But it's, you know, when you get drought, if it's mild places in, you know, on other areas of the continent, whether it be South America, North America, Europe, Russia, Asia area, you know, good, good areas can make up for bad areas but the problem with drought is if it gets severe the good areas can't out they can't out yield where the drought is so there will be the there will be you know some tightness in the export market because of what's going on in argentina we will have more soybeans and corn especially soybeans flowing into uh argentina for the crush um which will make things a little bit more expensive to get out of South America. So that'll be supportive of prices. Um, but, you know, it's March. It's early March now, and a lot of this is going to be, you know, priced in. And the changes to come, whether we're at 32 million metric tons or 29 million metric tons on soybeans, you know, a lot of that is, that is priced in here. So what's market is all about catalysts. What are we looking forward to here? Um, and we're looking forward to, you know, basically North America and Europe. I'll touch on Europe for a second. 
Um, listen, the, the big thing there is going to be the, the grain export deal. Ukraine, Russia, war is now over a year old. Um, that doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. Uh, and the world has adjusted for it. And one of the things that's happened is, you know, Ukraine is probably only producing two thirds of what it used to be able to. You always keep home what you need first and you send out the rest. So who knows, maybe exports are 50% um, of what they used to be. And that matters most in the wheat market. So for the global exporter markets, for the stock to usage and the available, you know, grain and oil seeds to be able to go out, you know, not having the, you know, basically having that reduction in wheat now. And now it, it, we can almost pencil it in, like, you know, Ukraine's only going to grow two thirds of, you know, the wheat that it used to. And going forward, you know, the the market will probably price that in year over year until things get better. You know, what was an unknown, a, a severe unknown, extreme unknown this time last year on how much wheat would be available in the global export market. You know, at least the market has some kind of confidence in a range of where it can be now that it's seen how things have played out in Russia and Ukraine. And what does that mean for Black Sea wheat? Now, meanwhile, Russia is going to be able to grow and export pretty much all the wheat it wants to. So we'll see what this. So, you know, it keeps global exports tight, but it doesn't mean we're going to have shortages or some kind of global famine, you know, in the poorer nations uh, of the world. So. What is interesting, too, is the Black Sea deal expires on March 18th. Uh, there is going to be negotiations. Ukraine wants to extend it for a year. It's in Russia's best interest to kind of have it a shorter term so they can keep on negotiation you know, for their terms. And if you're Russia, you probably want this thing to expire once a month, right? You know, So you can keep on getting better terms every month. But no one's going to go for that. So I don't know. We'll see if they get it done for a year. I wouldn't be surprised if it's six months again. Russia is basically going to say, listen, we should be able to export our grain and fertilizer too. The world needs it. We have high prices. Um, you know, it's in everyone's best interest. And I wouldn't be surprised if Russia kind of gets their way on this one. Um, they are right. You know, food inflation is real. Fertilizer, um, you know, you need to have fertilizer readily available. Uh, you know, the, the way this war has escalated, I think that you probably can have grain and exports flow through the and fertilizer flow through the boxy from Russia and Ukraine while they still fight. The UN is going to be in charge of this and they're going to have an incentive to get it done. Any kind of financial backstop insurance that can't get done on the private market, UN and you know whatever countries that need to will come together and probably do it on a governmental level to make it happen. Um, and we've now been a year here and we haven't, I haven't heard anything, you know, ships being sunk in the Black Sea with full cargoes on grain. So it seems like this, this situation is being a little bit more manageable. And that's going to be important as we talk about our forecasts here for possibilities of corn, wheat, and soybean prices and also canola. So jumping into that now, we are coming into a time of year where you got two things, you got three, and you got a third thing going on. One, the weather premium come out of South America, even if you have a drought. Even in the drought years, you know, in the United States and Canada and Europe, you eventually break sometime in the in the midsummer, right? As you know, the last of the weather premium comes out and everyone you know has an idea where the crop is and you stay elevated, but you're not going to be on those like summer highs. That's where you are in South America, and that's why we saw the price action that we did. Markets can be a little bit nervous about Ukraine, but not as nervous as they were last year because everyone knows what the situation is, right? You, when you get crisis. 
you know, the first time it happens, the markets go absolutely crazy. You know, think about the first time we saw the debt ceiling, you know, the first time we thought, you know, Greece was going to crash out of the euro. You know, every iteration after that, you know, you, you get market moves, but nothing like the first time. So, you know, the Black Sea will be important, but we're not like that. Seriously, that we're going to 14, right? Like we did last year. Finally, we've got North American and Europe planting. In terms, I think what the market's really going to pay attention to is a couple of things. One, how dry is it in the United States, you know, for the winter wheat area? How dry is it in Canada for spring wheat and canola? Um, because in the eastern corn belt and through much of the heart of the corn and soybean belt for the United States, soy moistures look pretty good. And the market's not going to care too much about that. We're going to go from La Nina to a more neutral pattern. Um, I'm sure some people will talk about El Nino, but it just looks like the weather patterns be neutral. The eastern part of the Corn Belt, eastern part of the Western Prairies in Canada, should be pretty good in terms of uh, subsoil moisture and weather. The western part, and whether that be around you know Saskatchewan, Saskatoon area, and kind of an, as we go into the north part of Alberta, looks a little dry. Um, on the southern part of those Western Prairies in Canada looks pretty good. Um, when you look at the United States, you know, the real issue is those Western plains of the belt where you see a lot of that hard red winter wheat, and that's going to be the concern. And are you going to get enough spring rains to really help out and boost yields? So at 91 million to 92 million acres corn and a trend line yield, and I know people think 181 sounds high, sounds high to me too, but you know, over the past couple of years, Technology has improved. You know, the, the farming practices and what's available improves every year. Um, you know, fertilizer has come down. I know there was some high prices paid in the fall, but it has come down now. Um, you're, you know, you're going to be able to. You get some good weather. I would like to see what a corn and soybean crop looks like if you actually get some very good favorable weather for a season here in the United States. And if you do, I can see 181 on the corn and I can see 52 on the soybeans. I could even see it a little bit better if you get garden-like conditions through much of the United States. The big problem is going to be the Western Corn Belt and it's going to be a bigger factor on wheat, on winter wheat, I'm sorry, on hard red winter wheat because the soft red winter wheat is actually going to look pretty good. So 91 million acres, let's just call it a one, you know, 92 million acres, a 181 yield, you know, carryout goes to 1.8 billion. And I know I've said this before, and that's just not tight. Now, <coughs> excuse me, it doesn't mean we're going sub four, but we could go sub five by harvest. And I'm not surprised on this break. You know, when we broke, we broke after the ag form. And I'm not surprised about that because the ag form basically reminded everyone, you get normal acres, you get normal yield, and there's no tightness in the corn market anymore, right? And here we are in, you know, New crop was almost six bucks and old crop was above 650. And that's not justified at a 1.8 billion carryout, you know, which really, and what that really means, and I've talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, is a 13% stock to usage. That's what, it, that, that's the most important number here. Um, and you can convert that into days of supply, which is probably like around 40 to 40 to 45 days supply, but the real important number you'll hear in the industry, and if you see some of the analysts who I really respect and know what they're doing, they'll talk about stock to usage. And stock to usage on corn could be 13%, which, you know, before 2000, you know, before 2020, 
13% stocks usage mint corn trades in a range usually between like 350 and 425. Now, that was before the inflation, that was before COVID, that's before war in the Black Sea, you know, a drought in South America, followed by a drought in Canada, followed by a drought in South America. So lots, lots changed, but that's what it means normally, you know, a, a 350 to 425. Um, but we high priced and deserves to be high priced and soybeans are tight and deserve to be high priced. So let's take a look at both of those real quick. Well, one for corn, what does it mean for me? I think what happens here, one, it's the wrong time of year to be bearish. Okay, we are now gonna be in March, we're gonna start planting. So even though I have a little bit of a bearish outlook still on, on corn, I don't need to be heavy short right now. Honestly, if I do have hedges and sales on, I if there was a time to buy a little bit, now is the time. In, in from a from primarily one just a seasonal perspective, like we don't know we're gonna get 91 to 92 million acres soybeans and I mean corn and 87 or 88 million soybeans. We could have planting issues. There are some parts that are dry. We'll get some parts that are going to be too wet. We're going to be surprised if there are parts of the Delta that are too wet. You know, that's going to, you're going to get delays here and there. Um, you'll, you know, corn right now, it's actually favorably priced. It's getting to, it's not as overpriced as it was on the export market. China has been rumored to come and buying in. You see exports coming to pick up. Maybe because the weather in South America, Argentina is not going to have that corn to export. Um, like they did in the past. We're not going to have a shortage of corn, but it's not going to be flooding the market either. Um, we might from Brazil. But anyway, these things matter. And we're going to see support for corn down here uh, for at least a little while. And we're heading into growing and you know planting and growing season. So seasonally between now, for the next couple of months, for the planting window, and then also for you know the, you know, the, the heart of the growing season, uh, you know, those are typically bullish times. So if I have, and I do, I, I mean, we have puts on old new crop on, we are at bear spreads on, you know, we have bought put spreads, sold call spreads against it. There's a time of year to maybe buy a little bit of futures against it. Or if, if you got heavy selling futures, or if you got heavy selling in the cash market at the elevator or at the ethanol plant, um, I don't know. It's not a bad time to take a look at some, Cheap call strategies, uh, just in case we get a rally on the seasonal part. I know I've been kind of a big bear here, um, but you know, on the short term, we could rally a little bit in the in the corn market. The long term view, you know, is still kind of still bearish longer term because commodities do revert back to the mean, and corn has the potential to have a lot of acres. I mean, the what gets we'll see what that planting report is at the end of the month here. But it, to me, it suggests we'll be, uh, I mean, farmers have the incentive to plant corn in the United States just based on where prices and inputs are right now. Uh, we'll see more soft red winter wheat coming out of the Eastern Belt and the weather looks pretty good. So the soft red winter wheat, the Chicago wheat, we're going to go from tight stocks to adequate stocks in that market. That is not going to be good for corn either in the long term because uh, of the feed component on that. And then what's interesting is that soybeans and high protein wheat could still be tight, tight year after year. I mean, between what's going on in South America, you know, which is so important for the soybean market. Um, you take a look at the United States, 87, 88 million acres and a 52 yield. 
doesn't really buy you much year over year. You're still in the 200s. Instead of being the low 200s for carryout, you know, you're in the high 200s for carryout, but you're still under 10% stock to usage. Like you go from like 6% stock to usage to maybe 7 or 8% stock to usage. That's still beans in the teens or 12 bucks at least, you know, 12, $13 when you're, you know, when you're an 8% uh, stock to usage. I mean, you got to get to a 10% stock to usage to get soybeans $10 or lower. And that's a 450 million carryout right now based on our usage. So I don't know. I mean, to get up that high, we got to have like 88 million acres and a 54 yield, right? So I don't know if that's possible, especially what's going on in the Western Belt um, right now. And then the other side of the oil seed markets, canola. I take a look at the canola, you know, listen, yeah, I take a look at the, the Canadian situation. We could have some expansion in wheat acres, right? And that would be good for the spring wheat. Um, it's hard to figure out how you get over or up to, and then over 20 million acres of canola. I mean, that is the big cash crop in Canada. Farmers have pretty much by now figured out how to max out canola on their rotations. And, you know, they're there. It's just, it's very difficult to see how canola gets over 20 million. And then if you have, and conditions aren't that bad, right? I mean, I, mean, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, the drought year of two years ago. I mean, it's not perfect in, in the Western prairies in Canada. Um, you know, you get into kind of like the northern part of the prairies, like around Saskatchewan and parts of, uh, I mean, Saskatoon and parts of, you know, as you get into closer to Edmonton, away from Calgary and into Edmonton and Alberta, it's it, it does look drier up there. Um, but there's, you know, it you can still get snow and rain and conditions can improve. So it's not it's not perfect, but it's not it's not awful either. And, you know, when you take a look at the western prairies as a whole. Uh, the farther east you go, it looks like the better soil conditions. The farther west and north you go, it looks like the worst, just kind of generally speaking, uh, in terms of the western prairie. So what does that mean to me? I still think that we can see a trend line yield in canola. It's very early. I wouldn't be surprised if Stats Canada thinks the same. And, you know, generally speaking, 20 million acres of canola plus one ton, uh, you know, a ton per acre, um, which would be like a 44 uh, bushels per acre uh, yield, which, you know, some people may say is rosy. Uh, maybe it's in the high 30s or low 40s, but let's just, I have a feeling the, the trend line is going to be closer to 43, 44. So just about a ton uh, per acre. That means 20 million metric tons of, of canola, which, you know, they use about nine to 10 domestically export about nine to 10. So year over year, we go from a tight to an adequate uh, stock to usage in canola. So oil seeds. So I, and then with the spring wheat, 24 million acres, maybe on spring wheat in Canada, maybe 10, 11, 12, maybe 11 million acres of spring wheat in the United States. Um, when you take a look at that and what that means to the balance sheets, you don't, you, you don't expand too much on the winter wheat. And with, with Kansas city, the hardwood winter wheat and the drought, I, there's, I don't think there's a prayer to get to a trend line yield in the Western belt. So when I take a look at the, the, the high protein wheat, I see the combination of Canada and the United States keeping us at levels where we are. And I think the hard red wheat will actually have a draw because of what it is. And what's going to end up happening is there will be this premium 
built in, which exists now, which is going to stay for the high protein wheat. Now, I'm not saying wheat's going to rally. I don't even know if wheat will stay at the same levels we are now. It could still come down by the end of the year, but just not at the rate or as fast as, let's say, corn would if we get 92 million acres in a trend line yield. Um, and also, you know, wheat, you know, the, the wheat that's planted in Russia, a, mar, a, a majority of that is the higher protein winter wheat. So the equivalent of the Kansas City wheat. Um, so you kind of got a double whammy going on there with hard, high, high protein, a hard red winter wheat um, in that market. So the way I see things going is uh, still high protein wheat keeps a value. Doesn't mean it has to rally, but it keeps value better over some of the other grain markets. Soft red winter wheat, the lower protein wheat, that probably continues to lose out and would be, you know, going to get dragged down with corn. Like corn and Chicago wheat aren't going to be helping each other as those uh, ending stocks get larger. Uh, soybeans will still be tight because of South America. Um, we won't be super tight, but, you know, it'll be snug. Uh, canola expands into more of an adequate level. And probably the best, and, you know, but what's interesting is that we're going to have this, you know, on the bull side, we're going to have this big expansion and still continue to have the big expansion in biodiesel, the renewable biodiesel. I was looking at the report that the USDA re released earlier this week, and they were talking about capacity and how much capacity we've grown. We're up 150% in renewable biodiesel capacity over one year, and it continues to grow. And the United States energy policy is centered about renewables. That is not going to end right now. Um, you know, Canada is also heavily focused on renewables. That is not going to end. And we are going to be crushing soybeans and we're going to be crushing canola for that oil. What happens to the meal probably puts pressure on the meal. Um, should help cattle expansion. I mean, geez, Louise, I've been, just, I can't get over my grocery bill the, on the weeks I decide to make steak tacos. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's, uh, you know, hopefully that helps, you know, going forward. But, you know, we're going to see, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to see the United States and Canada probably export more meal unless, and, and, you know, unless, you know, the, the, the whole oil seed, um, we'll see more, we'll continue to see more of that oil stay home and being demand for energy purposes. I mean, once at inflation can get under control and we see an expansion of economic activity and we'll have a, a higher need for energy, I mean, you could really see that soybean oil component and that canola oil component of the market, you know, take off. It'd be, it's right now, it seems to be the only major bullish demand driver um, going forward, but it will take time for it. That's not going to happen tomorrow. Um, it will take time to develop and has a lot to do with the energy market and the economy. But listen, I mean, I we saw the same thing happen in 2007 with renewable fuel standards, the way corn and you know, what happened to corn with ethanol completely changed that industry. And I wouldn't be surprised if renewable biodiesel is here to stay and canola and soybeans are going to basically become, you know, what what the oil is to the energy market is what, to, you know, corn and ethanol are to the energy market. So I like soybean oil. I was writing about it this week um, and playing it. We've been down on the averages here. Um, you know, you combine inflation and, you know, the world looking a recession. Listen, the energy prices come down. Plus, we've had, you know, we, I think the market got ahead of itself on the, you know, on the expansion, the biofuels. Now that we're, I think, mid to high 50s is going to be support here for soybean oil. 
It's a lot easier to trade soybean oil. Oh, that, it's listed. You know, canola oil isn't listed. Just the canola seed is listed. So we'll use soybean oil um, for that kind of hedge and, you know, and that kind of trading and, you know, from uh, the from the spec side and also from the producer and the consumer side. So uh, if you have any questions about that or what we're doing in soybean oil, you didn't see my email in Turner's take, let me know. But we're, uh, there's definitely some actionable ideas in there too. So that's where I am on the grain and oil seed markets. We are, listen, I'm not an outright permeable. All right. I am saying that we have chances to rally here in March, April, May, just like we do every year, regardless if the backdrop is bullish or bearish, right? Because because of North America growing and planting season, and we're coming into that period. So um, <coughs> if you're a spec trader, you're probably looking to get a little bit long. If you are a farmer and already you know sold, maybe you're looking to do a little bit of a buyback. If you're a farmer and haven't sold, you know, maybe you're looking to sell into these rallies. If you're on the consumer and the buyer side, you're probably buying now. And we're seeing we're seeing end users and processors coming in and buying. We're seeing the export demand pick up a little bit. And I continue to, to think that happens because, you know, you, you got to get, I mean, if you're a consumer, you got to get your coverage now because you don't know what's going to happen in the spring and summer. Um, so it makes the most sense for, you know, and you're seeing it in the market for them to get their coverage out until past, let's say, the summer, and then they'll be hoping for big crops, right, and lower prices for next year. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see here. That is going to be the trend seasonally and from the the end user side, the producer side, and the spec side. Um, all right. So listen, hope everyone had a great week this week. We'll be back next week. I am going to be at Commodity Classic next week. So if you're going to be in Commodity Classic, um, please come by the Stonex booth. I'll probably do now. I'll probably do a web. I'll probably do a a podcast right before that, letting everyone know and where we are and how you can find us. So if you're going to be at Commodity Classic, we're going to be talking about the markets. Also, going to be talking more about OTC um, and. Uh, OTs are for farmers down there too. So again, come by the Stone X booth. I will be there. Arlen will be there. Um, Josh uh, Linville, our fertilizer guy, who's you know just exploded in popularity on Twitter, will be there too. Um, Arlen Sunderman, he's the our chief economist. He'll be there in the booth. I'll be there. So uh, yeah, come on and say bye. Swing by and say hello if you are. All right, have a great week, everyone, or a great weekend. And I'll talk to you later. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniels Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniels Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www www.danielstrading.com Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter,
software or similar service. Daniel Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.